Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share lessons and experiences in sports performance and professional development. In this week's solo, I'm going to talk about everything, implementing heart rate monitoring technology into your and your athletes' training. So a continuation of last week's solo, where I talked about implementing session radium perceived exertion, or SRPE technology, and now I'm getting to heart rate monitors. If you haven't checked out that one, that's TSP46 please do because it's very important and interesting to kind of compare and contrast these two internal load measures with SRPE being subjective and heart rate monitoring being objective. And it's important because with the pros and cons, comparing and contrasting, like I said, you can figure out kind of what's the most applicable, feasible, what you can get the most results out of if it's worth doing one over the other and things like that. But heart monitoring technology is very popular, whether it's in general fitness trackers or it's with specific you know chest uh chest straps and things like that because internal load is the most important load relatively speaking to external load because that's what the body's going to respond to so i'm going to talk about different technologies talk about main metrics things like that and what it means to actually implement and kind of how it helps drive action so let's get it going let's get better together to start off this episode i'm gonna go through my little disclaimer again where this episode is not going to be me going through research study after research study just summarizing the intro methods results discussions because that's pointless and this is actually going to be applied stuff i learned from direct experience now, first, it's important to put out there the difference between internal and external load as that gives kind of context to these numbers, but external load is the work done independent of internal response. So if you run three miles, it's three miles for everyone. Or if you're running at six and a half miles an hour, that's the same for everyone, or you made 100 throws at practice, whatever it may be. And internal load is the individual response to training. So the number of calories burned, their SRPE, their heart rate where we can both run a mile, but our internal loads are gonna be completely different. And it's important to note that internal load is what the body is going to respond to because that's the body's own individual response. I can go more in depth in another sports science rant. Uh, I have a 2.0 in my back pocket. So if you would like to hear that, I'd be more than happy to make that for you. And with all sports science, it's not really the numbers, it's what you do with them because if you collect all of this data and you're just looking at you know spreadsheets, think an app on your phone, whatever it may be, and it doesn't help drive action or change, then it's just <laughs> looking at numbers. So with all of this stuff, you need a goal or it's a game plan on kind of how you're going to use it, how it's going to help inform decisions in the future. Now, that can change over time, but just collecting numbers because you can and hoping it'll kind of appear to you as you go probably isn't the best game plan. So this episode will be a good starting point and kind of getting your brain going on if you want to start implementing this type of technology with your and or your athletes training. So first, what I think is the most important with heart rate monitors and heart monitor technology, metrics, whatever you want to call it, is that it's very important to determine a max heart rate because, well, just for example, I have some athletes that I work with. Uh, one of their maxes is 212, and one of their maxes is 
189 or something like that. That's a pretty big range. Now, of course, there's the general, you know, uh, 220 minus age, but with that is plus or minus 10 beats per minute. So that's a good place to start, but you need a, a lot of data or you need a true max test to determine the max heart rate. Now, why you need a, a true max heart rate is because a lot of this stuff is based off percentages. So if my max heart rate is uh, 200, 180 would be 90% of my max heart rate. Where for one of the athletes I mentioned earlier, 180 would be like 95 plus percent, you know, if their max is 189. So it's, it's very important to have a true max test, whether that be a yo-yo intermittent recovery test, which is basically a modified pacer or beep test, whatever you called it growing up, or something like a true VO2 max on a treadmill where you don't have to put a mask on, just, um, just collect the, the heart rate data. Or uh, I was very fortunate enough to have a whole semest semester's worth of data on my athletes where I basically, now this is an assumption and in all of sports science, a lot of assumptions are made, but uh, I assumed at one point in time throughout all of the conditioning sessions and all of the uh, games they played in their season that they reached their max heart rate at least once. So I went through all of the game data and all of the conditioning data and I took the, the highest max beats per minute and that was their max. So of course, a, f a few of a small number of those athletes did um, achieve a, a greater heart rate than that number, but it was only by one beat per minute. You know, it wasn't any, it was very infrequent, not a lot of athletes. So whether it's a true max test and, you know, if you have to learn more about a yo-yo intermittent recovery test, if that's something that you want to implement with your athletes, or if you have a kinesiology department or something like that, where they can run a true VO2 max test, things like that. But that is the most important thing out there because it's all individual to the athlete. So you need relative percentages as uh, two of the main three, two of the main metrics I have or proxies I will talk about later are based on percentages because it, it's very tough to do just in absolute beats per minute. But I think I've exhausted that point. So next how to collect it. So there's two main ways of collecting heart rate data. The first is the chest strap. So it's a strap that goes around your chest, kind of underneath the pecs, uh, even with the sternum, and then you have a heart monitor that, that clips in. That's going to be more of a legit heart monitoring system, where the on the flip side is a wrist tracker. Now, it's not to say that wrist trackers aren't legit, but I think people give a lot more credit than is due to things like the Apple Watch. Now that's not to hate on the Apple Watch, it's just that that is not a, it's not known to be a fitness tracker, it's a smart watch. So I'm not saying that it's not reliable and I'm not saying that it gives good data, but collecting a good heart rate isn't that hard for, for technology, especially with how smart and how far we've come but it's really what it spits out and how manipulatable that data is, which will make a little bit more sense, um, a little more sense later. But so there's some wrist-based fitness trackers such, such as Whoop that I'm a big fan of, but I don't really like how little data you can kind of get from it. 
Um, what I like about Polar, which is a heart rate monitoring strap, is that it basically spits out, what is it, 25 uh, metrics, some of them GPS external load, but for the heart rate uh, stats, you can export it to, to Excel, and then I can calculate and kind of modify and do all these things from there. So like I said, it's not really the technology, it's kind of what do you want to do with it. Now, if you're just looking for calories burned for a total session, if you're just looking for average heart rate throughout a whole session and things like that, then um, the technology that you choose is going to be a little bit different. So with collecting data, I'm going to repeat what I said in, in my SRP episode where you need a reliability first. You need a good batch of numbers, a good group of numbers before you can see if the, um, if the individual numbers themselves are good. That would be validity. So uh, if you decide to embark on this journey, then you need to be consistent. Reliability is, consistency is part of reliability. So you have to be wearing it every session. The athletes have to be wearing the same heart rate monitors. If you're going to include the warm-ups in every session, then you have to do that for every session. If you're not going to include the warm-ups, whatever protocol you have, it has to be consistent. Now, if, if it's a wrist-based heart rate monitor, then you have to make sure that it's tight. You have to make sure that it's getting consistent readings every practice and things like that. So whatever technology you choose, make sure that the, the tracker itself is legit. It's the best for your situation, and that's going to produce a good batch of numbers before it produces good numbers itself. Now, <clears throat> with heart monitoring technology, you are limited to the sport you play. Now, we all know that baseball players are very active and fit during practice, and they run around a lot, obviously. And if you can sense my sarcasm, that was very sarcastic. Myself being a base baseball player, it's just, it is what it is. Versus a sport like beach volleyball, tennis, basketball, soccer, sports like that, that are more continuous in nature, where a cardiovascular component is going to be very important to success and training. Where baseball, it's very technical, it's very short, it's very explosive, where you know heart rates don't really get up that high. And cardiovascular fitness isn't really a limiting factor in the sport. So I think that's a good way to evaluate it is, is does fatigue come with a lack of cardiovascular fitness or is it important to have good cardiovascular fitness in the sport? If so, then I think heart monitoring technology would be good for you, your sport, your population, things like that. So there is a lot of context that comes with sports science and technologies. The next thing I want to talk about that I referenced earlier was the kind of proxy measures because you can't just look at, at someone's heart rate and say, oh, they're at 160 beats per minute, perfect. Or uh, I don't really like that number. And for example, the first proxy number that I, that I mentioned without even saying that it was a proxy measure was just getting a, a heart rate percentage instead of just the raw beats per minute. So I guess that's one I'm, I'm going to add on my list right now is just the heart rate percentage sign. Okay. So, uh, be, and then the next uh, two that I think are the two most important ones are going to be uh, derivatives of those percentages. And the first is going to be training impulse or TRIMP. 
the trimp that I used in my thesis is called Edwards trimp. So basically, it multiplies the minutes spent in different heart rate zones by different weighted factors. So if you spend 10 minutes in zone uh, 50 to 60% of your heart rate max times one, then you would get a 10. Uh, 60 to 70 times two, 70 to 80 times three, 80 to 90 times four, and 90 to 100 times five. So the minute spent above 90% probably isn't going to be as much compared to the lower ones, but it's going to be multiplied by a greater weighted factor, you know, five compared to one, two, three, or four. And you're going to add up all of those numbers to produce a total score in arbitrary units, but just a total score. And it's important to calculate numbers like this because if you have what's called intermittent team-based sports, so where there's this cycle of play, stop, play, stop, such, such as um, such as tennis or beach volleyball where there's a distinct, uh, the play starts with a serve and then it ends when the point is achieved, or, or basketball where there's... Um, where there's fast breaks, but then there's you know plays where they use the whole shot clock, and then there's media timeouts, and then there's things like that. Or soccer, where that's a little bit more continuous, but there's definitely you know a burst walk cycle throughout the game. And if we just look at the average for the whole session, that, that, not, that might not give the whole picture. So basically, TRIMP is just taking the integral, if you know what that is, so just the area under the heart rate graph for the whole session instead of just trying to draw one flat line across it, if that visual makes sense. The next is going to be high intensity minutes. So this is just gonna be total minutes spent above 80% heart rate max. So if in a practice, an athlete spends five minutes above, or five minutes, 80 to 90%, and they spend three minutes 90 to 100%, then their high intensity minutes for that session is going to be eight minutes. And this is important because if you think about the goal, so I guess to backtrack a little bit, the goal of all of this sports science stuff is to improve our performance in games and improve our odds of winning in games. So we want training to simulate or best prepare us and our athletes for competition. So it's really important to get heart rate monitor numbers in this episode. Heart rate monitoring numbers, these proxy measures on games and game data and things like that. So for example, if if the training impulse, the total heart rate score for a game is let's just say 500, you know, and your conditioning session is is consistently around 350 to, to 400 you know you're you're not preparing to the best of your ability to simulate game-like demands now to get back to the high intensity minutes you know for example uh, in a sport I work with uh, to to keep some anonymity um, in matches 70% of the time is spent above 80% heart rate max so if a, if a game, let's just say, is 20 minutes, then 14 of those minutes are spent above 80% heart rate max. So we can use that number, 70%, to help guide conditioning sessions to, mo to simulate to the best of our ability game-like demands. So 
I think that's all I have to say about high intensity minutes, pretty straightforward, but just th there's an application piece to it. You can do heart rate recovery. So you can have all of your athletes as soon as, you know, practice is done, have them all sit, you know, start your timer for one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute, whatever. I haven't done too much research on this, but I know that heart rate recovery is a thing. You know, how quickly can your cardiovascular system uh, come back to normal? Can your parasympathetic system kick on and your sympathetic turn off? Not to get too sciencey, but you know, you can use that as a measure of of fitness. You know, if your athlete goes from 80% max, if that's what they finish practice at, and in a minute they get down to 80, then next week do they go from 90 to 78, and then so on and so forth down the ladder. Or if their heart rate recovery is way worse, then that might be a symptom of fatigue and things like that. So heart rate recovery is a thing. Uh, you can do resting heart rate as a as a measure of kind of uh, sympathetic and or parasympathetic activation. Now with this, there is a little caveat to where most resting heart rates are taken basically right when you wake up, when you're in your most calm state for you know one to three minutes, and then you figure out what your resting heart rate is. Uh, where that might not be the most feasible, where athletes have to wake up, go to class, rush around campus all day, and then you, you know, you asking them to sit for five minutes before practice starts to try to get them to be as calm as possible. And then you want to, you want to run out to practice because you're running a little late and they're going to be all stressed and thinking about all this other stuff going on where I think resting heart rate is very important and heart rate variability as well. If you're familiar with that, uh, that, uh, I can explain that later, but, um, just the application of it. Yes. If you have athletes that are going to commit to commit to collecting their resting heart rate and heart rate variability for three minutes every morning, staying as calm as they can, things like that, where if, if your athlete is going to do it one every two days, one every three days, two days in a row, then two days off, things like that, that's not giving you a good batch of numbers regardless of if the numbers themselves themselves are good. Now, heart rate variability is the time between uh, heartbeats. Now this is measured in milliseconds. It's not that much time. You know, for example, if your if your heart rate is 60 beats per minute, you have an average of one second in between your heartbeats. Now, you know, one might be 1.2 seconds, one, one might be 0.8 seconds, one might be 0.7, one might might be one. You know, and if there's a lot of vari variability, then this is a characteristic of the body being uh, parasympathetic dominant or the rest and digest with basically the absence of sympathetic activation or the absence of kind of stress and the fight or flight. Now, if your heart rate is very consistent, your heart variability is very low, there's not a lot of variance between beats, then that would be characteristic of sympathetic activation. So not to get too sciencey, those are just some numbers that if you would like to do more of your own research on, just throwing those out there. If you want me to chat more about them, please let me know. But uh, to move on to the next ratio uh, in my list is um, heart rate average does not equal or is not equal to kind of the, it doesn't represent the training session in the best light as opposed to something like training impulse or trim. So if it's more of a steady state, you know, the only thing I can think of is like cycling or heart rate or uh, heart rate 
cycling or cross country, things like that, where it's very steady state, then heart rate average might be the best. Uh, you can calculate what's called an acute to chronic workload ratio with the training impulse, which I think is prob probably beyond the scope of this episode. But you can also calculate work rates. Now, uh, work rates are very important because it adds another element of relativity to the heart rate numbers. So work rate would be um, your, your training impulse or your heart rate score divided by how many miles you ran. So let's say your heart rate score was 100 and you ran two miles, then you average you know, 50 training impulses per mile. And then you can see next week, oh, well, has it gone down to 48? You know, does it cost you less heart rate score per mile you run and things like that? So just a few things to kind of give some applied, uh, I, some applied uh, proxy measures. Also, just some ideas to get your brain going on, on the versatility of kind of heart rate measures. But going back to how it really does depend on your sport, your athletes, and it depends on the technology that you will be using. Uh, talked about work rates, comparing internal and external. So, uh, yeah, going back to work rates, um, using data from games. And volume is going to be the biggest driver of load. So, for example, it's not the fact that that they touched 80 or they touched um, 80% or they touched 90% of their heart rate maxes, how long did they spend there? That's why you multiply the minutes spent times four or times five, or you just sum up all of the minutes spent over 80%. And I think that is all I, I, I have where it's really volume and not the intensity. I think that's a theme with all sports science stuff that people often get wrong. But like I said, I'd love to make another sports science rant episode I love talking about this stuff. I hope this made sense. If you have any questions for me, I'd love to answer them. It takes a little bit of time and just some exposure to the numbers, exposure therapy, if you will, for the stuff to kind of click, make sense. But yeah, I'd love to do whatever I can to help this make the most sense to you. Future episodes, if you have ideas, topics, please let me know. Uh, I'm excited to share this with you, get your feedback. And thanks, TSP fam. And that does it for this episode of the Talking Shop Podcast. Thank you very much for giving me your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope this episode did a good job of making you stop and think and evaluate about the topics discussed. I'd love to hear what you thought, so please feel free to give me a comment, rating, review, like on whatever platform you're listening on. Let me know what you want to hear next. Hit me up on social media at Coach Big Toe. That's at Coach B-I-G-T-O-E on Insta and Twitter. Remember, we can all get better together.